Cool, cool, cool. All right. We are in this final segment of Who Needs God? And to start this last bit of series, okay, so for the last five weeks, we've been super high up in the air, right? Like talking about some really deep stuff, some really complicated stuff, and really just wading through it. As a matter of fact, I would imagine that for most of us in the room, we heard it on Sunday, and then we had to go home and listen to it again, because we are like, I think I caught 25% of that. And so you listen to it again, and you're like, I think I understand it less now. But that's where we've been, and today is the end of our conversation, Who Needs God? And so we're going to come real low. We are landing the airplane. And so that means we're going to get really close to the ground. We're going to land. There's going to be an impact. It's going to be a little bumpy and we're going to come to a complete stop real fast. And that's exactly what this morning is going to feel like. Impact, breaking really hard, and then turning. Okay. And so um, what I need you to do for me throughout the next 20, 25 minutes that we're together is I need you to work hard at being brutally honest with yourself. I don't need you to raise your hand when I ask a question. This isn't a time of confession or anything. We're not doing that. We'll save that for small groups. But this is just what I need you to do for me, whether you're here or you're watching or listening online, is to just be brutally honest with yourself. And so with that in mind, I have a question for you this morning. Do you ever deceive yourself? Do you ever deceive yourself? I'm not asking if you ever lie to somebody else. That's a completely different thing, different series. We'll cover that at another time in another place. I'm talking about when you lie to yourself. Now, here's a newsflash. If you don't think that you do, you're wrong. You actually do. We all lie to ourselves. And if you didn't know that, you're just really, really good at it, okay? But we all lie to ourselves. Now, for example, okay, all of us in the room, none of us in the room, well, I don't know about that. Most of us in the room would say that we are good parents if we have kids. As a matter of fact, let's go crazy. We are great parents. Our kids don't know how blessed they are to have us as a parent. I am so much better than my parents. My kid should just thank Jesus every morning and night for me, right? Okay, that's what we say. But maybe our kids wouldn't say that. Maybe on Father's Day or Mother's Day, they smile, oh, I gave you a card, world's greatest dad, world's best mom, and like, yeah. And deep down, they're like, yeah, that's not exactly how I feel, but I, I guess I should buy the card because it's, it's their day. And so we do that, and, and our kids wouldn't tell us that we're not the greatest. Our kids might not even think that we're very good. The reality might be that we might just be lying to ourselves. I mean, for example... I don't know if I'm the only parent who does this, but you sleep about one third of the day, right? Well, roughly. And then you work for another third of the day. So that leaves you one third of the day to really parent. Now, if you're like me, you probably spend more than half that one third looking at a screen, whether that's a TV or a computer or your smartphone. And so what's going on then, and this is just for an example, but for what's going on and then my kids look at me and what am I always looking at? Like, well, dad likes his phone more than he likes me, obviously, because he's always looking at it. He's always watching it. He's never actually giving me any of his full, undivided attention. You can think of all the times you've looked at your kid with the screen at the bottom of your vision, right? I ask you a question. Where's this? Go look over there. Move out of the way. The bucks are on, right? Okay, we do this, okay? So, okay, let's move on, though. Okay, you don't have kids, so you don't care. You're like, yeah, and I'm, I'm not going to be that kind of parent. Okay, well, let's talk about relationships. And I'm not talking about the other person. Yes, I know. There's another person in the relationship, and they've got all of these issues. I just did a wedding yesterday, and we covered that. We're like, we're not talking about the other person. We are just talking about you, okay? 
How many of you who are in a relationship have been having the same exact argument for the past few weeks? But if you're being honest with yourself, and remember, that's the challenge this morning. If you're being honest with yourself, it hasn't been the last few weeks. It hasn't even been the last few months. It has been the last few years that you've been having this same argument. Now, don't raise your hand, right? Okay, you can do that in a small group. You don't have to. You've been having the same fight. Might I suggest that the reason that you are having the same fight is part of the self-denial because it is just easier for you to not deal with whatever's causing the argument in the relationship. It's easier for you to just put it off. It's harder for the other person. It makes their life more difficult. But you're an awesome partner, spouse, husband, wife, whatever you are. You're awesome, except when it comes to this one thing. We're just not going to talk about it. Or that thing. We don't talk about that either. Or let's not talk about that thing either. Well, what can we talk about? We can't even decide where to go out to eat. Okay? If we're being honest, are we the issue in our relationships? Now, I'm going to stop because I think that those two examples gets the point across, right? Is your skin crawling a little bit? Self-deception. Why are we, why are we talking about that? I think about the same fights that Megan and I have been having over the past few years. I'm not, you know, Throwing shade at any of you. I know your relationships are perfect. Mine is not. And so Megan and I have been having the same fights about the same things over and over. I think of all the times I've looked at Oliver and Elijah and I'm like, can you just move? Okay, Netflix is still on back to my phone, right? It's like double the screens, okay? It's no wonder we lie to ourselves. Because how uncomfortable would it be to walk around life fully conscious that maybe you're not the world's best dad or mom. Maybe you're not the world's best husband, wife, spouse. Maybe you're not even good. You're not even at the, you know, you're not top, but you're not even middle. Maybe you're at the bottom and you're like, ah, no, 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 no. I'm fine. I'm good. And so what do we do? Inside of your brain right now, inside of your mind, that whoever you are, you've got a room in your brain, just like you have this room in your apartment or house. And it's like the junk drawer where it's like, it doesn't matter what you need, but it's probably in that drawer. Or you have a closet and you just keep shoving things in there. And you don't know what's in there, but you just, when you don't know where something goes, it goes in that closet. And we mentally do that with all of the stuff we don't want to deal with. All of those times I wasn't a great dad. All of those times I wasn't a great husband. Where does it go? I don't want to look at it. It goes in the closet, it goes in the drawer. And we do that over and over and over and over again. And if you're only 20 or 30 and if your closet's already full, I have bad news for you. If it's already full, you haven't even lived like one third of your life yet. You got a whole nother two thirds and most, I mean, we don't know how this is all going to shake out and end, right? For every single person in the room. But if you have two thirds of your life left, you're going to need more closet space. You're going to have to start renting out a mental storage to put all the issues that you don't want to deal with to pack it in. And then what happens is it gets so full, right? Where it's like in our apartment, you open the door and like a broom is going to fly out and hit you on the head. So you kind of open it and jerk out of the way real quick. You know, a bunch of stuff. And then you start just shoving it back in there. I forgot about those. And you, know, and, and you put that back there. And we do that emotionally. And then when people come over and they start asking about it or you hear a message talking about that closet, you're like, don't talk about that. that. That doesn't exist. I don't have a mental closet. Everything I have looks great on the vacuum floor in my clean living room. That's the image I want people to know. World's best dad. World's greatest husband. 
That's me. But we all have a closet. Now, why would I bring that up? You're like, wait, what are we talking about again today? Who needs God? Well, I'm glad that that's what you're asking and thinking. Throughout this entire series, we've been talking about different things, right? Different topics and studies and objections to Christianity. And today I want to ask a question. If you don't believe in God, or you don't have faith, or you're losing your faith, or you're trying to regain your faith, how did you get there? Be brutally honest. Did you study something, really just looking for the truth, really open to whatever was out there, and you studied and studied and studied, and then you came to the conclusion? Or, and I think this might be true of a lot of people, did you make a conclusion and then study and study and study to help support your point? Did you study and then make a conclusion, or did you make a conclusion and then study? Because that is a big difference. Now, we all do this. And if you don't, again, you're just deceiving yourself. We all do this. We make conclusions in our mind, and then we look for supporting arguments and facts to do it. So did you lose your faith over something that you studied? Or did you lose your faith because of a conclusion you made, and then you went and studied? That's how this ties into the series. Did you leave faith because as you looked for answers— you were a believer, you were a Christian, you were a whatever, and as you looked for answers, you just didn't find them. And so you concluded that there is no God based on X, Y, and Z. Or you say, you know what? I just don't want God to be real. You know what? It just doesn't make sense to me. God's not real. But now I need to go find supporting facts because I can't just go and talk to somebody and say, well, I just don't believe in God because it was easier that I don't. But maybe that's the truth. Maybe it was easier. Maybe it was more convenient that there wasn't a God. Maybe. Were you looking for truth or were you looking for evidence? You see the difference, right? Was I looking for the truth? What is real? Or was I looking for evidence? What supports me? I think this is really relevant because very few of us are totally willing, completely willing to abandon all of our presuppositions and our previous beliefs We don't want to find stuff that's absolutely positively true. Very few of us in the room, very few of us, there might only be one of you, are on a truth quest. Most of you, myself included, oftentimes are on a happiness quest. We're on a what makes me happy quest. So we wake up every morning and the lifestyle, the decisions that we make are all around this idea of what makes me happy most happy. And when I do that, I'll keep doing those things as long as I'm happy. But you know that it doesn't last. You could be 10 years old in the room right now and know that if all you ever do is chase happiness, you're going to always chase happiness. It is an endless pursuit. Very few of us are on a truth quest. We would rather be happy all the time and occasionally have truth than have truth all the time and occasionally be happy, right? We are on, not on a truth quest. We are on a happy quest. And people have been this way for quite a long time. Uh, there's a quote by St. Augustine. He wrote, he says, you know what? We love the truth when it enlightens us, and we hate the truth when it convicts us. Like, oh, yeah, I like that. I like that bit of truth. I like that fact, I like that over there. That supports what I think and feel already. But I don't like that. That can't be true. No way. Because that 
that just this that just disagrees with how I think or how I feel. I mean, think about the time. Okay, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. Okay, have you had a fight with a spouse or a parent, a coworker, a neighbor? Okay, whatever. You're in a fight and you're arguing, and then halfway into the fight, you ever realize that the person you're fighting with is right and that you're wrong? Like, I hate that. Happens to me all the time, I feel like. I'm like arguing with Megan, and I'm like, huh, I think she's right. So, you know, I do what you do, which is what we all do. We say, stop, 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 stop. I was wrong. I was completely wrong. How could I have ever been dumb enough, 10 seconds ago even, to think like that? Wow. Thank you so much for curing my ignorance. I am such a better person for your wisdom today. Thank you. That's what we all do, right? When we're in, no. No, don't lie to yourself. Remember, we started off that way. I'm going to keep coming back to that. No, what do you do? You dig in deeper. It doesn't matter if they were right. You're going to win the argument. You're going to find some bogus fact somewhere. You might even find a true fact, and you're going to just throw it in the argument. What's it have to do with anything? I don't know, but here it is. I'm going to win this fight. That is what we do. We don't stop. We keep going because we want to win. I want to be right. And you are right, right? I mean, you're right the rest of the day. You had more facts. You had better words. You walked away. The other person even said they were sorry. Wow, it's a great day. And then you go home and you're laying in bed at night. And you're trying to fall asleep and you're rethinking about your day. And you're thinking about tomorrow, whatever it is you're thinking about. You don't want to go to work tomorrow. or You don't want to work with someone tomorrow. And you're thinking about that argument. You're like, yeah, that was good. And they said that. And I said, man, I said that. That was so good. And I'm, that zinger, whew, that was awesome. But they said that, I think they might be right. And as you're drifting off to sleep, it's kind of like just dripping, right? I think, I think they were right. I'm guessing you don't the next morning call that person up and say, hey, you know what? I was actually thinking about you last night as I was laying in bed. Like, don't start a conversation that way, okay? I'm just emotional intelligence 101. Don't, okay? You don't call them the next day. You don't say, I was laying in bed last night and I was thinking about you and what you said. And I know that I made you feel really guilty and ashamed. And I know that you, you felt I was right. But I just wanted to let you know now that in hindsight, I was wrong and you were right. We don't do this. We don't ever do this. Instead, we take all of that stuff we just argued about and we open up the closet. And we throw it in there and we shut it. And we just move on with our life. It doesn't matter that we were wrong. We just keep lying to ourselves. But what is it then? Why does that bother us today? I hope it bothers you. Why does it bother us? We're laying in bed and we're like, oh, the other person was right. Even though you had facts and figures and better words. Could it be that there's something else going on? Something deeper inside of us? Something that's not just physical, but perhaps even spiritual going on? inside of our lives. And I think that you know the answer. And I think that, you know, if you're watching online and listening and you're like, yeah, I, there is something. There's something out there. There's something in here. There's something all around me. And I can't put words to it, but I just, I've got this feeling. Well, what do we do with that feeling when we don't like it? Yeah, where's it go? The closet. Man, I don't like that feeling. That feeling might be right, and I want to be right. And if it comes down to me being right or the feeling being right, 
Open up the door. We're going to throw that in the closet. We're going to shut the drawer. I got to find more evidence. I don't want more truth. I'm scared of that truth. I want more evidence. Well, why do we do that? I'm going to spend the next few minutes here to explain why I think it is. Okay. The last five weeks, again, been really deep stuff. Okay. Could it be that the real reason that you walked away from faith, the real reason that you lost faith, the real reason you're struggling with faith is because of something you're telling yourself that isn't true? Maybe you told yourself, I can't be a Christian. I just can't be a follower of Jesus because there are so many unsettling things in the world. I mean, there are hungry children and there are these diseases and people do some really, really bad things. I just can't believe in God. And we said, okay, there are some unsettling things about faith. Absolutely. We're not going to argue about that. Um, but there are also some unsettling things about disbelief. Don't think that the, other, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. It's not. They've got their own issues and problems. Besides, even if it was not unsettling and ours was unsettling, unsettling isn't a truth test, right? We mentioned if you have a daughter, her teenage boyfriend, he's unsettling, but he's not not real. He's going to be there. You got to address him. Okay, so something can be quite unsettling and true. And so you said, okay, um, so it's unsettling. But you know what? I grew up and, and growing up, all I ever heard was that you know, God was just always angry with me. Every curse word, every time I did this or that, God was just ticked off and he was just looking for opportunities to smash me down. I always felt guilty around God. God was always angry. Well, you know what? I was just told that God created the universe in, in seven days and it was just like that. And if it wasn't like that, then, you know, I, 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 why, why do I have to choose science or faith? Why, why can't I have both? And, and why is there this line? And we said, hey, you know what? God, it wasn't angry. God's not trying to make you feel guilty. God isn't against science, things that we can't explain today, we might be able to explain tomorrow. But if you quit believing in some of those gods, that's okay. That's okay. We give you permission. You can stop believing in those gods. Those aren't the gods that we read about in the Old and New Testaments. Well, tell us about God. Well, Jesus tells us all about God. Jesus tells us that God is, is spirit and that God is our father and that he is God. And then John says, hey, I know that that's not very clear to you. I know you don't get the whole father, spirit, son thing. So let me break it down. He says, God is love. It's the incarnation of love. I said, oh, okay, okay. So we say, well, but, okay, but if, if God is love, how can so much pain and suffering exist in the world? How is it possible? I can't believe in God. There's too much pain and suffering. Well, we said, well, just because there's pain and suffering in the world doesn't mean that something or someone doesn't exist, right? You guys know bad people? I mean, okay, do you know people who do bad things? They don't stop existing. As a matter of fact, I would go as far as to say, not all of you, but maybe one or two of you have done some bad things yourself. And you didn't, poop, disappear. You're still here. You did bad things. So evil is not an argument against God, but it does make us ask questions about God. And we talked about justice. We talked about if God gave us what we all deserved, it'd all be over. But he doesn't give us what we deserve. He's letting this thing play out. And at the end of our lives, there will be justice. And it's okay. That's great. But then there's the Bible. And I just I can't, you know what, there are things in the Bible that aren't true or haven't been proven true, and, and I just, I can't believe in the Bible. And we said, well, 
turns out the Bible isn't the foundation of our faith. You can be a believer here and uh, not take the entire Bible um, at its word. That's okay. That You know what? The Christianity survived hundreds of years and actually grew from dozens to hundreds to millions before anyone had a Bible like we have it today. So that's okay. Like if, if you want to believe in Jesus first and then the Bible comes next, I mean, we think that the Bible is a great supplement to your faith. I don't know if there's a better supplement to your faith than the Bible, but what we said, if that's an objection to you, it doesn't have to be an objection because our faith survived before the Bible. And he said, okay, so we answered your pain and suffering and your unsettling, and we talked about the gods that weren't true, and we covered all of these objections that you have, and then you're still sitting here today, and you're like, you know what? You still haven't convinced me yet. And that's okay, because my goal in this, this series was not to convert you. My goal in the series wasn't to convince you that, you know, you need to become a Christian and, and do this. My, my prayer really was that if you are searching if you are searching for God, if you are asking honest questions, if you are looking for truth, my prayer is that you'd find it. That if you pray, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me, that God would say, here I am. That has been my prayer. But what I'm questioning this morning is after we've talked about all of these objections and you have a list of a hundred more, are any of those real objections? I mean, we covered the last five weeks, the five big ones, the ones that they said, well, these are the reasons we just can't believe. These are the reasons the nuns say that they're nothing. These are the reasons that the nuns say we're done with faith. These are the reasons. Well, we covered them all. It only gets easier for me to go down the list. I tackled the hardest ones, and now it only gets easier. So could it be that the reason you don't believe and the reason you have a long list is because you don't want to believe? Does it really have anything to do with the Bible? Does it really have to do with the gods that you grew up with? Does it really have to do with unsettling truth? Or is it just more convenient? Is it easier for you to just say, I don't believe? Why would it be easier? Well, if there's a God, that means you're guilty. Mm. I said the G word, not God, guilt. We don't like that word. If there's a God, I hate to break it to you, but you are guilty. Then we are all guilty. And if you got your smartphone out right now and you Googled, I want to stop feeling guilty. I did this this week. You can take my word for it, okay? I want to stop feeling guilty. There are some like 3.5 million articles online on how to stop feeling guilty. What does that tell you? Well, a lot of people who feel guilty. It tells you that there are even more people who want to stop feeling guilty. So we're pursuing it. And that, there wasn't one article that popped up and said, this is the way to stop feeling guilty. And everybody praises it like, yes, this works. It tells me we have not found the solution yet to stop feeling guilty. As a matter of fact, you can read some articles on evolutionary biologists and psychologists who will say guilt is a primitive emotion. It's primitive. We don't need to feel guilty. That's what they'll tell you. The scientists, we don't need to feel guilty. We should evolve past that. It's just a completely worthless emotion. And so we, we say, well, you know, anytime I feel guilty, I'll just throw that in a box, throw it in the drawer, throw it in the closet. We don't even want to say the G word in our culture, right? I mean, how many of you would go around saying, you know, I'm guilty? No, what do we say? We have language for this. I've made some mistakes in the past. I'm just a human. Nobody's perfect, right? We don't say we're guilty. We never, ever want to say that we're guilty. We'll just kind of justify the things that we have to do and we didn't mean to do, and we justify it so we can just keep it in the closet. And maybe that helps you for a while. You can ignore the conflict for a while externally. 
but you can never ignore it forever internally. As a matter of fact, some of you know, you've, you've tried to bury your guilt. You've dug a hole in your brain. You threw the guilt in there. The, that time you said something to your kid or your spouse that you shouldn't have, and you, it really just bothers you. So you've done, but what you've noticed is that like, guilt is kind of like a zombie. Like you're just doing your own thing, walking through life, and then all of a sudden it's like, that hand coming out of the ground? Like I thought I buried this years ago. Why is it coming? And it's bigger? So what do we do? We throw some more dirt on it. We don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. So we're just going to keep throwing dirt on it. And then eventually what happens is you get smart. You get proactive. And what do you do? You say, I know I'm going to screw up in the future. So I'm going to dig bigger holes. I'm going to have holes ready for the future. So when I make more mistakes, it's just a boom, kick, throw some dirt and it's deeper. Cause I know I didn't dig it deeper. So we get really good at suppressing and repressing every time we ever do something guilty until you get to the point where your entire mental landscape is mountains and holes. And you can't go from point A to point B because there's a mountain in the way. Who made that mountain? You made that mountain. What's in that mountain? You know what's in that mountain. You don't want to talk about it. So you're going to walk around that mountain. It doesn't matter if it takes you extra years. It doesn't matter if you don't get to where you want to go the way you want to go there. You have to go around it. You're not going to go over it because you don't want a hand to pop out and grab you on the leg, right? You don't want to walk into a big hole that you just dug for future guilt because that would be bad too. So we have this mental landscape that's all mountains and holes. But maybe that's actually comforting to you. You have coped. You have found a lot of peace in the mountains and the holes in your life. As a matter of fact, you can navigate really well mentally. You're like, oh, there's, there's Mount. Yeah, I remember when I did that. Yeah, that's that mountain. You remember when I did that? Yeah, that's my mountain. Hey, guess what? I'm in a bad mood. I got a hole for what I'm about to say right here, Okay. And we're really comfortable with it, which kind of gets us to the next point. You know what? If there's a God, not only am I guilty, but if there's a God, I have to be accountable. I have to be accountable. I'm okay with the mounds and the holes in my life, but I don't like accountability. Why? Because God takes me by the hand then, says, come here. Come here. What's in there? What's, what's in this mountain? Let's, we got to bring that out. Yeah, no, no, I'm good. And God says, no, 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 you're accountable. When you're not accountable, it's your life. You do what you want, when you want, how you want to do it. And it's all subjective. It's all up to you. You make the rules, you play by the rules. But if you're a believer, if there's a God, that means somebody else made the rules. You were handed a rule book. You weren't given blank pages to just write down how life should be. There's time, space, and matter. There are rules to this life. It doesn't matter if you woke up today and say, I'm never going to die. I hate to break it to you. That's not your choice. Well, we don't want to be accountable because then that means God's going to make me unearth some things that I don't want to do. And and if I'm accountable, that means I have to be submissive. And oh, submissive, the bad S word. We hate submissive. And granted, in the church that we've used that word very incorrectly. We have used that word submissive and to submit like abusively. I'm going to just like, yes, I'll, I'll own that. We have done the wrong way. But biblical submission is all about accountability. I think as a matter of fact, you can switch out the word submission with accountability anytime. So when Megan and I, in our marriage relationship that we are supposed to submit to one another, it's about being accountable to one another. It's not to say, well, Megan, you submit to me and I don't want to go check the mail because I don't want to walk down three flights of stairs and then walk back. Been working on my dad bod for a while and uh, getting exercise is really going to blow it for me. 
That's not biblical submission. Biblical submission is that I can't say something just because I have a whole dug for it that I can kick it under and cover it up. It says I'm accountable to my wife for the things I say and the things I do. And she's accountable to me also because there's mutual submission. Well, that's hard. Can I just tell you that that's hard? Can I just tell you that then like 70% of our conflicts isn't like a black and white issue that it's extremely gray and and I'm right like five out of 10 times and she's right five out of 10 times and sometimes there's no right answer. It's like, what's the most right answer? And then sometimes we disagree about what the most right answer is. You guys in a relationship like me? Maybe you guys are like just judging my relationship right now. Man, he does not have a healthy relationship. We need to do a relationship series next, okay? We don't want to be accountable Because that means somebody's going to make us look at the mistakes we've done. And that's hard. We would rather go through the rest of our lives ignoring it, putting it in the closet, pretending like it's not there. And God says, that's not how it's going to work. Maybe you've coped. You can dig the mountains and and the holes in your life. You're like, that doesn't bother me. And accountability, sure. You know what? I've coped. I don't even care that I said that. I don't even care that I did that. I don't care. Well, if there's a God, that means you're wrong. If there's a God, that means I'm wrong. It's hard to admit. And in my opinion, I'm wrong is the leading cause of self-deception. Nobody wants to admit that they were wrong. And I don't need to know you exceptionally well to know that you're arrogant. And you don't need to know me exceptionally well to know that I'm arrogant. How do we know that? Because we're people and people are prideful. We can't deny it. We all struggle with it. Okay, remember what I was talking about? Like you get to fight with the person and you're in bed at night and you're like sleeping and you're like, oh man, I thought about this. Okay, the worst part about that, the reason we never call that person up is because what we are saying, either directly or indirectly, is hey, I was wrong. I was wrong. It's easy for me to say that to my three-year-old. It's hard for me to say that to my wife. Hey, I was wrong. And the problem with then acknowledging God is, especially if you've been away for a while, is that it takes a tremendous amount of humility. Say, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have built that mountain. I shouldn't have dug that hole. I'm accountable. I need to do that. And whereas we are prideful, Jesus being the complete opposite of us in some respects was completely humble. But if you take the route of humility, and this is where we start going backward a little bit, okay? Back to what we've just talked about with accountability and guilt. If we can humble ourselves, it makes you a bigger person. It makes you a wiser person. You don't have to worry about digging holes. You don't have to worry about building mountains because as a wiser person, you're going to be able to avoid those future mistakes. And so maybe the reason you don't believe that we've gone through five weeks of this series and you've been watching or listening or whatever is you say, yes, you know what? If I'm being honest with myself, it had nothing to do with the Bible. It had nothing to do with pain and suffering. It has everything to do with, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be accountable and I don't want to be guilty. So I'm just going to stick with my arguments. I've got an arsenal of zingers. Everything stays in the closet. We're going to keep it boarded up and that is how I'm going to live my life. And I think that if you did that, what you're saying is that it is just easier for me to not feel that way. It's just easier. But there's good news. And this is how we're closing. The good news is that when you acknowledge that the issue is your resistance and not God's existence, when you acknowledge that, you have stepped into an epic narrative. A narrative in which people have been screwing up for a super long time for a really, really long time. A narrative that you can walk into in which God says, hey, I have been pursuing you. 
relentlessly pursuing you. I love you. And you say, well, God, but if I address God, I've got all of this guilt and accountability and, and I'm wrong. And God says, you know what? I knew that. I knew that 2,000 years before you were born. So we came. And we lived the life that we knew you couldn't live, that Stephen couldn't live. And that we died the death that we knew you would deserve. Because we would rather leave heaven and come to earth because that's where you are. You're not in heaven yet. God said, I'd rather be on earth with you than heaven without you. And when we walk into that narrative, he said, well, I was wrong. God said, well, there's forgiveness. So I don't want to be accountable. God says, there's grace. Well, I don't want to be guilty. God says, there's love. And so maybe all of the reasons that you're like, it's just easier for me not to believe are reasons that have a really easy solution. Now we push baptisms all the time here. We say, yes, you're going to be baptized. But what I want to offer you today, if you're in the room and you lost your faith, you're fighting with faith, you're watching online or listening and you're fighting with faith, I want to offer you this opportunity right now to not say baptism is your next step, but in your own way, in the way that you're not lying to yourself, you're just addressing the issues to say, yeah, I believe. I want to take that step. I want to take that journey. All I've been trying to ignore the guilt and the accountability and all these things. It had nothing to do with the Bible or pain and suffering. But what was wrong was that what you talked about today. I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I'm willing to submit to God. I want to be covered in his grace, love, and forgiveness. And let me tell you that you can be. And every single day you can be. But it's going to depend on the choices that you're going to make. Are you willing to open up the closet and let the stuff come out? Are you willing to do that? James, the brother of Jesus, at the end of his little letter, he writes, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. James is saying, hey, I know better than anybody, really hard to admit you're wrong. Okay, My brother ended up being God. I didn't believe it. The gospel writer said I didn't believe it. All of history is going to remember me as the guy who didn't believe that my brother was God until he came to me after he had died and rose again. And James is saying it's not about making mistakes. It's not about being perfect. He says, you're a sinner. We don't like that word either. But he says, hey, you're still not going to be perfect. Say, hey, you're still going to make mistakes, but your identity is going to be different. You will no longer be a sinner but you will be a child of God. Will you make that choice today? Will you make that choice tomorrow? Will you make that choice next week? James says, if you come close to God, he will come close to you. And perhaps the reason God has felt so far away is because we haven't, you haven't, I haven't taken a step toward God that he's not coming closer to me. Are you willing this morning to wash your hands? to admit, I need God.